Hey there, before we start the pod, I wanted to mention that uh, I am doing a mailbag episode and I am looking for your questions. So it could be questions about the podcast, it could be questions about illustration, it could be questions about me or some of the past guests that I've had on. But I'd like to hear from you all. Please email me at goodbadjpg at gmail.com. Again, that's goodbadjpg at gmail.com. Howdy, folks. You're listening to the High Res, Low Res podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Fischel. I've been trying to get these podcasts out bi-weekly, and I missed last week's publishing deadline uh, by like a week, uh, all because of project deadlines, the end of the school semester, um, everything just kind of coming to a head right now. And I edit all of these episodes myself. I don't hire out for this. So um, as a way to make it up for it, uh, next week I'm going to be putting out uh, the penultimate uh, episode before we take a summer break uh, next week, uh, an interview podcast, uh, and then we're going to have uh, one more episode before our little summer break. And then at the end of August, I'm going to have um, the end of season one of this podcast. Anyway, uh, that's a little bit of that. Our next guest on the podcast is Lynn Skirfield. Lynn Skirfield is an illustrator. Their clients include the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Walrus, Google, Chronicle Books, Image Comics, and Puffin UK. We talk about the bliss of living in the suburbs over the city, uh, the cost of art schools in Canada versus the U.S., teaching at the art school that you were once a student at, the evolving process of mixing traditional and digital media in both of our work, uh, the issues that we have with Procreate from uh, someone who uses it and also from a student perspective, uh, transitioning from editorial to kidlit books, the communities that we've both experienced and have in Toronto and in New York, and working through illustration projects while they're going through cancer treatments and so much more. This is a very packed podcast, and I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this uh, episode. Lynn has two kids' books coming out. Uh, Flight, Notes from a Bird Girl, is available for pre-order and available in bookstores June 15th, 2023. And Two New Years, published by Chronicle Books, is available for pre-order and available in stores on August 8th, 2023. A little production note, uh, Lynn's mic kind of cuts out in and out throughout during the recording, I thought it all sounded great, but somehow uh, the recording ended up just being a little weird. Might be a mic issue. Uh, just hang in there for the whole interview because it's so wonder. Lynn is just so wonderful and sweet. It really outshines all the little annoying mic issues that kind of pop in and pop out from time to time. Uh, another thing too, a little uh, uh, editing note is that I talk about uh, art school prices and uh, the school that I mentioned is about $10,000 off. Uh, but I still stand by what I said uh, in the episode. If you liked our conversation, please rate, comment, and review the podcast, and be sure to subscribe to the show too. If you have questions, comments, please email me at goodbadjpg at gmail.com. That's goodbadjpg at gmail.com. Here is my conversation with Lynn Skirfield. 
first met you, I think it was in in the mm-hmm. early 2010s, right? Probably uh, something like that. It, what was it at one of the American illustration parties? I think, or was it, it at like a weird house party with some illustrator set up? And no, I don't. I didn't really know that many people <laughs> until I was out of school. So it was probably at like an AI party. Yeah. yeah. Was that your first time in New York or? No, but it was like my first time going to New York to meet New York artists, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've gone with my family for just like a fun trip, but this is mm-hmm. like, it was one of my first times just going for me for business. Like, tell me, tell me about that experience, like getting off the plane uh, and like experiencing the city on your own. Were you with friends or did you come alone? I think I always went with friends okay. i always went with friends yeah i think i would like to go once just on my own i think it'd be really mm. fun but yeah new york is it's funny because i when i first started going to new york it was just like oh my gosh because editorial illustration was like mm-hmm. such a cool peak it was like all these really experimental editorial work and it's like this huge city and you could feel the energy and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like if I could be here, it'd be amazing. And I think the last time I really went was in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so, this is so rude. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the older I mm-hmm. get, which I'm not even old, I'm like 29, but like the yeah. longer I stay in like the suburbs, the more I'm a suburb person. And now the city, I'm like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Especially because, like, you live in the greater Toronto area, uh, and you know, basically, like, I feel like Toronto is not even that busy of a city. It reminds me a lot of, like, how busy Philadelphia is, which is not that busy I've never of a been city. been to Philadelphia. I would love to, I'd love to go and, like, find out. But, yeah, Toronto, especially when you compare it to New York, it's just, yeah. like, a tiny city. Yep. Yeah, the, a lot of the really great things about New York uh, exist in like uh, qu- quantity, like quality over quantity, which I I really like. Uh, and every time I've always visited there. Um, so uh, you're in New York, you, you're you with friends and uh, you're overwhelmed last time you went there. Uh, did you end up meeting art directors at a- the AI party or was it just like a mirage of just people that you just ended up meeting? So the first, the first couple of times, I think I've been to the AI party three times. Yeah. Uh, well, the first time it was just a mirage of people. Like, yep. you know, no one and it's hard to break in. Mm-hmm. It was great because I did meet up with, uh, I did meet up with a couple art directors, but I didn't see them at the AI party, but mm-hmm. I did like arrange that whole go over and go to the building, look at your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I did like meet a couple illustrators to hang out beforehand, just to be like, I think Kelly Seesmar and Chris Mutai and Natalie Anderson, mm-hmm. super nice. And we went to visit them and we saw them at the party and they were like extremely nice and talked to us. Mm-hmm. But it was, for the most part, it was very much like, oh, wow, all these people don't know anyone. But when I went with 20, in 2018, I, like, knew a bunch of people, and it was so much fun. Oh, yeah. 
when whenever I talk to students about it, I'm like, look, it's intimidating the first year or two you go. Um, cause it's like one of the big, like three parties in New York for illustration and, uh, outside of like Mocha Fest and, you know, I don't know if comic arts Brooklyn is coming back at all. Uh, but like outside of those things, like it's like the big things for like traditional publishing illustration and people, and you'll eventually make more friends and everything. And we're, we're friends, we're buds, you know, across the border are friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's awesome. So, um, you know, uh, you're born and raised in the greater Toronto area, um, uh, Mississauga specifically Oakville kid. Uh, yeah. tell me about, uh, growing up in the burbs and, uh, what that was like. Oh man, it's, you know, pretty chill. <laughs> it's funny. Like my whole life has been in like, yeah, Oakville. Went to White Oak Secondary School, and if you're from like Oakville, you'll know. Yeah, I mean Sheridan's in Oakville. It's, you know, I, I think there was a part of me who really wanted to live in the city, especially when I was choosing between say I go to OCAD or Sheridan, and I ended up going to Sheridan just because financially it made more sense, and also they they said I couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'll go to Sheridan. But you know, I don't regret growing up in the suburbs and staying in the suburbs. I think for me, it was really just great. Oakville has a lot of lot of nature, and I'm really thankful I could like be outside a lot and go on nice walks and have a very calm area. Just you know, go outside and have a nice walk, and it was beautiful. So I like the suburbs personally. Yeah, I mean, now. look, I, I I don't hate anyone that wants to live in the suburbs. I'm a, I definitely like I I grew up in a trailer park in the middle of nowhere, like out like thirty forty minutes outside of like the biggest like like one of the three biggest cities in Pennsylvania, and I was just like, I'm just tired of ticks and bugs and just everything, and I'm like, I'm just I'm moving to any city. And honestly, that yeah. is fair. Oakville is super <laughs> like manicured. Yeah. I also want to get out if there were that many bugs. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, look, hear me out. I mean, do I visit my mom and sister? Yes. Do I, you know, occasionally go upstate and go on a hike or something? Yeah. Like you need to recharge a little bit, but I'm just like, all right, I'm good. And I go back. It's nice to visit, but I, I'm glad I'm the other side of it is, is that like, you know, the suburban life is like one that it has highlights and it's good. It's like things are accessible. You just drive and you get whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> I live like in a city suburb now. I'm not in Toronto, but I live like yeah. around the city and you can, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I miss this driving, mm-hmm. driving to like the grocery store and like, people here like where i live most people drive but it's like city driving they're always angry Mm -hmm. i'm like oh just to go for like a 10 minute drive where nobody's angry i miss it it was nice yeah i mean i live about a block from like our huge grocery store and so I'm basically just doing the Olympics of like, how many bags of food can I put on my two arms and carry home? But also not many because my refrigerator is like 
two thirds the size of a normal size refrigerator. So I'm just like playing Tetris, trying to stack it into my small uh, <laughs> apartment refrigerator. So yeah, so bad. You have to use all the food, which is good. Yes, that is overbuy. correct. Yeah, I I always buy like week to week. I don't really uh, have the space to buy for like two weeks at a time. So you're correct on that one. So what? Uh, you you went to Sheridan. How how was that experience? It was great. I, it was interesting. Sheridan was like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm definitely like a pro art school person. I think my art would not be anything like it is without art school, and also just the amount of connections I've made from going to art school, the people, like I basically met everyone I know in illustration because of Sheridan mm. some way or another. So um, like this experience itself, it was like, it was great to like, I've kind of missed some days, you know, you go to school and you're just spending all this time making art. You don't have to think about much else. And then you can like hang out with your friends afterwards. Um, you know, there were my gripes when I was in it about some of like some of the outdated feelings of courses and that. But overall, I loved my time at Sheridan. And I'm definitely like, a, go to art school, go to Sheridan. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think like the big like a lot of people that uh, have any sort of like anger toward art school. Uh, it's typically like the majority of why people uh, don't like or, or basically proponents of like being very anti-art school is like one it like the sticker price versus like what you actually pay is like the seen and unseen is like two different things so like uh like for instance uh one of the colleges that i teach at university of the arts it's around like 40 dollars a year and wow. uh after scholarships and grants and all of that before you even sign the dotted line for like a student loan, a student will probably spend somewhere between 15 and the upwards of close to $30,000 a year, depending on what kind of support they've gotten, you know, depending on like if they come from a underprivileged uh, family or all sorts of like combinations of things. And so a lot of people are like, why would anyone want to basically take on close to like $200,000 in student loan debt? And that's like a big thing. Honestly, I can't even blame them either. Yeah. Like, I understand. The one thing that I have heard is that Canadian art schools are more, not cheaper, but they're more inexpensive compared to American schools. Is that right? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's, there's the thing too, right? Like when I was going to school, I think I was paying like $9,000 a year. And it's also Canadian, which is just, less money than american dollars right you know <laughs> and i think now the program's about ten thousand, maybe creeping up closer to 11 like even forty thousand dollars for the four years plus your living like living is not cheap in the gta yeah so i'm like and then you're going into art you know i do totally totally get the sticker shock and it's a lot of money for a career that seems like will you make it will you not make it mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> yeah i uh 
when I was when uh, years after I graduated, I was talking to uh, let's just say that they're an instructor. Okay. Uh, just trying to not get too specific here. I I asked them because I was go- I was just starting to get into teaching, and I was having my own personal frustrations as an instructor where. I, I had maybe like two or three students who were talented, but they just weren't like really putting in the effort. Or I noticed students that had graduated like like a year prior and they're, you know, doing whatever now. They're not even doing art. And I'm like, how do you deal with that as an instructor? And they they paused for a minute and they were like, well, when you're here, and you're instructing them, you do the best you can so that they can learn and grow as people. And, you know, there's a lot of skills that soft skills they learn in class that are very much transferable, but ultimately you just hope that they have a good life post-graduation and that's all you can really do because otherwise you're just going to be stressing yourself out about, you know, something that you don't have control over anymore. And I was like, that's pretty profound, <laughs> like totally. thoughtful yeah. uh, way of, of thinking about it. Uh, when you were a student at Sheridan, uh, you what, like, what was some of the instructors like? What were some of the, uh, you know, uh, instructors there? How were they like, was it, were there any like good mentors or anything like that? Yeah, I have. I have a bunch of, you know, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh yeah, I have a bunch of teachers that teachers are just so funny how like you mm-hmm. only have them for such a short amount of time. They leave such a mark. Like definitely my first year, my painting teacher, Catherine McDonald and her daughter, Ray, they both taught, Ray taught drawing, Catherine taught painting. Like as a high school kid, I was like, I'll never paint. I hate painting. It's the worst. And it's all things to like, Catherine I was like oh no I actually really love painting and my color sense got so much better because of it it was it was such a good foundational course and it's like it's helped me so much and then Tom Sevelrud he was my third and fourth year teacher and I like credit the way I'm working fully to his class I just it's just the way like his crits and like seeing the work I was making I was like, okay, I, I'm seeing something that feels interesting and different and exciting. And like, I don't think I'd be working the same way without his class. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Byers in fourth year, he was my editorial teacher. And he was like, he just said everything about the industry. If we had any industry questions, he would answer them. So totally, I would not know how to email without him. He was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Michael is... Uh... Probably one of the most, uh, if I had to say that if there was anyone that I could identify as being the most Canadian, he would be that. And also the most nicest person I know, like, you know, yeah, he's like, he's uh, he, definitely so in my great. top 10 of like nicest people I know. Um, yeah. Uh, also, uh, just a whip in a sketchbook, like all the time. Anyway, this is about you. Let's get back to you. Um, so, uh, now, uh, let's kind of like, uh, do like a flash forward a little bit. You're now a teacher or an instructor really at Sheridan. Uh, what, what is it like, uh, 
being on the other side and do you see like a difference in the curriculum now that you're an instructor there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I left Sheridan very salty. Cause you know, it's like that pipeline of first to fourth year, mm-hmm. first year. Everything's amazing. Fourth year. You're like, Oh, I'm ready to leave this place. But being an instructor, it kind of answered a lot of the questions, like reasons what I, or like why I thought things were running a certain way that I didn't like seeing the behind the scenes. They're like, Oh, of course it would run like that. It's just people are busy or there's a lot more things going on. that I didn't realize. So it was very eye opening. And then also just being like a little older than seeing students. You're like, Oh, this is why teachers are like this. Students mm-hmm. are like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the program itself, I like, there's definitely just the core that's very Sheridan. I don't think that's going to change. And that's like what makes Sheridan amazing. Actually, what they're teaching is super different from when I was in school. A lot more focused on collaboration and motion and experimenting with different media. Well, different like digital medias, really. Mm -hmm. But the collaboration aspect is so new to me because when I was doing school I was just like I'm working by myself that's why I'm in art can you talk a little bit more about the collaboration element because I feel like um that's something that still hasn't come into the curriculums in where I teach and it's only something that I've only experienced as a professional whereas knowing how to like prepare files to be animated by someone else like as an example yeah so I I don't want, I know it's like fairly new for Sheridan. I don't okay. want to spoil too much just in case, but I'll, I'll go off what I know what's actually being implemented right now. But there's a lot of like um, making students art directors for other students. That's a really, like, I know it's happening in multiple classes and it's actually going to happen with my class. <laughs> I need to ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of like students will have to look at each other's work and talk about it and be able I, I don't know if there's the same thing of like passing. There might be some of that passing files over to other people to animate it. Mm-hmm. But if that is happening, it's in the digital class and not part of the digital mm-hmm. class. Yeah. Awesome. But definitely there's more aspects of like, how do you talk to people? How do you work together? How do you work with people that you don't necessarily, like you're not necessarily friends with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good, especially, um, uh, I, I don't want to say the word force, it's a little aggressive, but like ha- uh, having uh, students have the opportunity to talk to other students that they might not uh, be able to talk in the same way with and having those same kind of personal like shorthands with so that they can be able to expand their language and ways of like talking and communicating with people who uh might be a little passive or might be a little too assertive. Uh, yeah. 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 So uh, now let's uh, take it back. And I want to talk about like your first couple years after uh, graduating. Mm. Uh, tell me about your experience. Were you mostly focused in editorial book publishing? Like what was like, what was your thoughts and like getting out and uh, all of that? Yeah, I, <laughs> So I was really focusing on editorial when I first got out. I, I kind of like, I'm, I know when I was leaving school, the thought was like, you go into editorial and from editorial, 
you will branch out into a bunch of different things mm -hmm. editorial just you were making so much work it was like constant advertising for yourself so i was really focused on editorial and to be honest the artists i love were all in editorial mm -hmm. i was just like i want to be like these people they're so cool the first couple of years were rough because I wasn't one of those superstar kids right out of school. I had to really like email a bunch of people and, and the way I was working was a little, like a little nuts. <laughs> the image I was making out of school, cause I was like doing this collage type stuff, digital collage stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. So every new picture was just like, I'm going to try and figure out what I'm doing. Mm. So I think the first few years were like a little chaotic of just trying to build up my name, build up clients, um, constantly questioning, like, should I be doing this? <laughs> I don't know. But I want, right. I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Right. I mean, I, whenever I uh, tell students, I'm like, yeah, my first year uh, after I graduated, I think I only made like a couple of hundred bucks. And then the next year I made a couple thousand dollars and then it just eventually grows. And yeah. I was also like, I, I don't want to say that I was a superstar kid. Uh, I think it was, I took the weird Avenue of uh, delaying that kind of impact by going straight to grad school after undergrad Right, and I okay. started to promote while I was in grad school and getting work and living off of just the little money that I was able to get, like working at a, at a art supply store in like New York. Oh man, um, that art supply store, art student. I was the same. I worked at Curry's. It's yeah. Like I like did some editorial work and then I, uh, went only, I only lasted like one summer at a art supply store. Uh, cause I like worked at a different art supply store when I was an undergrad and I was like, this is not going to work. Like <laughs> it's, uh, I can't do this and school at the same time. Uh, so I ended up just quitting. Also like the current manager there was awful. So I was just like, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but yeah. And I was able to basically, by the time I graduated, I, uh, had a steady stream of editorial clients, but it was definitely like, you know, I, it took a while. And also I think the other thing too, is I was just sending out postcards for the first year. I like didn't send out emails. And then, uh, after I started sending out like email newsletters to people, um, uh, you know, uh, like you get that agency access lists that you subscribe to yes. and yes. just mass email, a bunch of people. And they're like, all right, like, let's work together. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, and, uh, that was when everything really, uh, shot off for me. Um, so I want to like know more about your process of like back then and, and now, like you basically like do a lot of ink drawings and combine it with like ink washes or, and then throw it all together in Photoshop or like, what is your process yeah, more, more or less then like and now? More or less right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now, I've got it down to a science. Cool. I do my line art all digitally. When I first started out, I was doing like pen and ink and scanning it in. And it just like, it was one of those things I love the look of the pen and ink. And I love the weird mistakes that you sometimes have. But it just was so much faster to do it digitally. And 
truly the difference wasn't that much. So I ended up switching all my line art is digital. And just like a really quick project, I won't do this more time I will. I'll like print out the line and I always have like a digital colored version that I do really quick so I can reference that when I'm painting. I'll just change the um the colors, like I won't add extra line art or anything. And I use hair skin paper, which is less absorbent and has like cool it can have really cool textures. And I use things on hair skin, then I'll scan that in. And I'll Oh, well, like I'll put that underneath my line art and then I have like this huge texture bank now of just like weird smudges I've made just random paint strokes brush strokes other tear skin textures from previous mm -hmm. projects and then I'll just like mass collage all these other things onto my original painted stuff and it all comes together at some point I mean that's incredible because I mean uh, I, I feel like you and I worked really similarly in our in our early years, where I basically would uh, do a tight digital sketch uh, in the computer, print it out, and then I had um, some like printmaking paper uh, that I would get uh, uh, something similar to Stonehenge paper, and yeah. I yeah. basically uh, there was like one one day where like I went to the art supply store. And there's like this really specific kind of printmaking paper. I forget what it's called. And they had it on sale. And I ended up buying like, I think like 200 sheets of these like huge sheets. And I just took it home. And I used that for like years. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, all of my line work was uh, done in acrylic paint. Uh, I didn't use ink. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, and, man. Uh, I was just wanting that. Because isn't it like a little shiny? Uh, well, I it was like a very matte. Uh, kind of a okay. uh, uh, black ink that I got from like a uh, Michaels, which is like an art supply store. Art and yeah, store. yeah, we got Michaels here too. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I just never know. Uh, whenever I say Michaels or AC Moore, they're like, I don't know what any of those are. We I'm don't like, have right. AC Moore. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I got I got like uh, a big tube of it uh, of this just like folk art paint, and I'm like, all right, I'm just using this forever, and uh, made made a bunch of sketches, uh, uh, drawings, and also, I also have a texture bank as well, and um, it's really funny, uh, I have a, a student who I have as an independent study uh, this semester, and uh, basically, they like my style of teaching, and they want to basically do digital work in a way that makes it traditional. And so I've been teaching them all the stuff that I basically do, uh, but they're doing it in their own way. And it's so like amazing seeing like them doing their own thing with marks. And it's just like an incredible process in like a sea of people doing procreate drawings uh, and using like similar yeah. textures and such. Um, I don't know. No That's hate to people who do thing. procreate because I oftentimes yeah, I show students like Nicole Rifkin's work and like Ariel's work and uh, like so many people who like make stuff that I uh, also like Ryan F. Johnson. I'm like, all these people are using like Procreate and or, or Fresco. And I'm like, you wouldn't know. Uh, and then there are people that definitely have like a look and feel that looks like it's a Procreate drawing. Is I, I don't want to sound like an old man yelling at a cloud here. I'm... I, I just feel a certain way and I don't, I don't want to be too judgy. <laughs> like, oh, I've been yelling at clouds. <laughs> I, 
yeah. for line art, it's great. But yeah, it's actually one of the biggest issues with teaching right now. It's like I, you want like all the students use Procreate. And if my students hear this, I'm so sorry, but it's true. I'm being honest. I mean, I, I tell my students like, don't use Procreate, use Adobe Fresco. I know it's an Adobe product, but I feel like the brushes are better. And I feel like even though that there's like one or two things that are really nice about like uh, making like perfect circles and stuff like that uh, in uh, in Procreate that's not in, in, in Fresco, the uh, size of your images that you can get and still have like a bunch of layers is like oh totally God. different. The layers on Procreate are so bad. And just like the CMYK, there's like weird, there's so many weird Mm -hmm. with procreate if you're using it you know like a real professional capacity mm -hmm. and i feel like the students or like most maybe yeah maybe it's just a student i don't know they don't know it and when it goes to final and print there's all these like little weird things i'm like mm -hmm. oh. another thing too is i had uh one semester a student who did animated gifts using procreate and mm -hmm. i asked my students to make the gifts so that they are in a perfect loop and okay. it just glitches out when it gets to the point where it's supposed to loop. And I'm like, see, I mean, if you made this in Photoshop, it would have been like a much nicer GIF. I don't know. Not know that. That's fascinating. Okay. I'll it it doesn't happen all the too. time, but sometimes it does. And I'm like, I wonder if they fixed that problem. Uh, Cause it's been like a year and it's, they've now updated it a couple of times. So mm -hmm. who knows? Uh, definitely that project's coming up soon. So I, I have an iPad. I'm going to be definitely making some weird gifts uh, on my own just to make sure we're, we're square with that project coming up. Yeah. So um, now you are uh, in a very different place in your practice. Uh, I remember I, I was telling you before this interview that the last time I saw you, uh, you were in the middle or near the end of uh, your cancer treatment and, mm -hmm, and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering if you could talk about uh, how you were going through uh, that, plus still working as a professional and talk about the support that you got from friends and peers and uh, coming out the other side and uh, any perspectives you've gotten from life and uh, maybe even on your practice as an illustrator uh, now that you uh, have a maybe a different perspective? Mm -hmm. Cool. Good so I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in mm -hmm. late 2018. And for, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, cancer or Hodgkin's lymphoma, it is, my doctor said, and he was right, it is the best kind of cancer you could get if you're going to get cancer. It's mm. like well researched, well studied. There is like, it's pretty much a hundred percent cure rate if you have it. And I mean, there's always like hiccups and there's just weird things that can happen with cancer, but it's just, it's so well researched and you're probably okay. Even if you have stage four, there's such a high chance you'll be fine out of oh, it. Oh, wow. So I was really, you know, you're really lucky if you're going to get any form of cancer, it's a good one. And I started chemo in 2019, and I basically started in January, and it ended in April. And then I had to go for radiation treatment. You have to, like, heal a little bit after chemo before you start radiation. I, I want to say most of June I was in radiation. I'd go 
like once every oh no I'd go twice a week or three times a week something like that fuzzy now but no like I I I have a very good family and my mom and my stepdad were so good to me like they were just they drove like they we didn't live with each other I lived in Oakville they lived yeah I think they lived about a 40 or 50 minute drive away from me so it wasn't super far but they drove me to all my appointments so they like yeah they drive me to all my chemo appointments um at this thing in my arm called a pick line because they couldn't find my veins it's like a permanent kind of just little thing that they can hook you up to the IV really quick and I need to go once a week to get that like cleaned and the bandage changed so they would go with me they drive me to all those appointments and it's winter it's snowing so they were super great and then um, my mom would cook me food all the time <laughs> she just like hang out with me so my mom was just and my stepdad like just superstars so great and I like couldn't be more thankful for them um and then I I had like really great friends they I never went to chemo alone like if it wasn't my mom who was going well my mom went to all of them but most of the time I'd have at least one or like sometimes three or four friends joining me in chemo which is kind of wild but it was it was just so nice to have people around me dirt like going like chemo just kind of sucks just feels awful and to like mm-hmm. have laughter and people around and even like the hospital staff were always like, oh, you're, you're just like, so you have such good energy and you have great people <laughs> coming visiting. It's just like nice to see you guys. So really it's like super thankful to all my friends and like my roommate at the time, Janie, she was like, she would do my dishes and she was just so, so great. I had the best support system during chemo and it was, yeah I I couldn't have been more thankful and just even being online people were just you know they'd send nice messages and everything so that was that was it was amazing couldn't honestly couldn't ask for better (laughs) going through like a really (laughs) shitty time um I did work during chemo and it's complicated because I didn't have to work like I my my family they make a lot of they make good money right now and honestly I could have just not worked and it would have been fine but I think there's just a part of me like I've heard stories of people who had worked through chemo and I think part of me was just like oh you know I can do that too I'm strong (laughs) work through (laughs) chemo and so I didn't do like a ton of work over through chemo um I mostly just did a few editorial projects here and there but they were not like I'm so thankful to the people who hired me when I was sick because they were super sweet. Everyone's super sweet. But I think if I could do it over again, I probably just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Was, like the brain fog, you know, I would sit there sometimes and you just kind of forget what you're doing. And right. and honestly, I will say some of the work I made, I still love it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I still love like a lot of the projects I did. They were really good. But I just remember sitting there feeling like shit and being like, I did this to myself. I did not have to do. Yeah. (laughs) You literally have nothing to prove. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, like the work itself was great. I had amazing clients, great people to work with. I don't like the work itself was, 
I'm very happy with it. But I, if you don't have to work during chemo, I wouldn't do it. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, find hobbies that you enjoy. I don't know. Right. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of those hobbies uh, uh, later uh, for sure. Um, so when did you transition to doing more, like less editorial work and more, uh, kids book stuff? Okay. So actually when I was in chemo, I got yep. my, oh no. So in 2018, okay. 2018, I got my first kids book offer with Orca mm -hmm. and they're a Canadian publisher out in BC. And they were also super sweet. Cause I had to like stop working on that book because of chemo and everything and they they told they pushed back my deadlines so much they were yeah. great so that was my first book and then during chemo I got um I got an offer from Macmillan Jen Keenan sent me a message and I couldn't take the book because I was like right smack dab in the middle of chemo and I was like I can't do it mm -hmm. and so, but she actually kept me in mind for another book. So in 2020, right when the pandemic was like, in, like just beginning, everything was shutting down. I had this book offer from her for, um, my, the book is now out. It's called Friends Are Friends Forever. And it, you know, it was like my first American book. The pay's really good. And then after, and oh, I, I got another offer from Owl Kids too at the same time. So it just spiraled. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I got this one offer from Orca in 2018 and I just kept on getting more offers. I feel like it's just one of those things that my art probably just really fits Kidlet and mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting to go into it, but because my art suits it, people just wanted to hire really pretentious, yeah. but it, it, the offer is like, I didn't, I didn't start illustration necessarily wanting to do kidlet like it wasn't it was always like a if I do get to draw a book that'd be a great job I'd love to do it but I'm not focusing there and it just kind of I just kind of fell into it yeah yeah um when you we were talking a little bit about literary agents and how your literary agent basically just contacted you to see if you wanted to get in that did that first book first book come because through your agent or did it just kind of come directly to you no so actually my agent wendy she found me because she's the agent for the author on friends are friends forever ah okay cool. yeah so she's like i had a great talk with her because in school i had a teacher who was very much like <laughs> yeah so we had a call with her and she was like super great and I was like oh, i don't know maybe i won't maybe i'll think about this i don't know if i need this and it actually wasn't until i have a book out called flight and it's by puffin and it's a uk book and i was just like okay i i need help <laughs> i like don't want to look at these nuts contracts anymore I need help. So I reached out in last year to Wendy and she was like, yeah, sure. Let's sign a contract. Let's work together. So I was very mm -hmm. lucky. She was still interested. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I really like my literary agent. I don't have uh, a, an art, art agent. And I think uh, 
a lot of it just comes from just having a mix of friends who both like their art agents and people who just had sour experiences with art agents, whether it's just them just not really being the return on investment of a relationship that like, you know, they really expected. So I kind of get what your instructors were saying when it comes to that. You know, literary agents only take 15%. It's such a reasonable yeah. work they do. And illustration agents, yeah, they take 25 to 30%. And that's a huge chunk, especially if you're getting like editorial projects all the time. Money. Yeah, I mean, I know one agent that takes 33%. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you more after this is done. <laughs> Please tell me. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot. What was the process like of working on your first book versus your latest book? Ooh. Oh, man. Interesting. Okay. So my first book was a personal, it was the author's personal story. It was about her brother who's homeless. And it was about her son meeting her brother um, and finding acceptance and that family tie, even though, you know, the situations are so different. So that one was interesting because the subject subject matter was so, and this is actually interesting too, back, back in early in my career, I was getting hired for very sad things. Like I get a lot of death articles, get a lot of like health issues, a lot of like <laughs> dealing with grief. Yeah. So this like fit into that. And it was like, how do you tell the story in a way that's realistic, but it's also like warm and heartfelt and it wasn't a lot of like actual like it was a lot of research on the author but it wasn't like a lot of real world research um but but like that the process of that book was interesting because I had never like the roughs are so different for kids lit versus editorial like you have to draw the whole book and you can you know the first round of sketches doesn't have to be amazing but then you do another round and revisions are just like a thing that you have to expect with Kidlet versus editorial, you're kind of hoping you mm-hmm. have to do any revision. Great job if you don't mind. So it was interesting. Like I had to only do black and white. And I'm like you, I love doing colored sketches and having really refined mm-hmm. sketches to go to final. But with Kidlet, you just, or at least that publisher, Orca, they didn't want that. So I had to do black and white. And it was just the pacing is getting pacing down is really different. Um, the nice thing with KidLit is that it, it's always felt very natural to me. I've always really mm-hmm. enjoyed having like all the spreads to tell a story. Uh, I think now like it's fun. I've had a couple of different books. Now I've had much happier books. I've transitioned fully <laughs> from sad content to happy content. Don't know, don't know what happened there, but now I'm not like I very rarely get a like a very depressing article I need to draw. But now I've done, yeah, so my current, I have two books coming out and I'm working on another book right now. So one is about like a Jewish Chinese household, which was a lot more like, you know, it's still there's a family and there's the autobiographical bi- biographical element to it. But there's also a lot of research I had to do. My step family's Jewish, but I am not Jewish. So I had to like do a lot of research and add things to like vague things I know from just Mm -hmm. family meetings and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did 
flight, which was like a nonfiction about birds migrating. And that was just like research. It was just so much research. And nonfiction versus fiction are like completely different beasts. It was like, I had to research all these birds and all these locations. And you have to make sure you get like the feeling. Like I had to draw New York and I had to like, it has to feel like New York because mm-hmm. people are going to read this and they're going to live in New York. Yep. <laughs> Just the amount of research I did for that one was just so much more intense. And like now, I feel like every book, like I'm not so much like, how do I say this? Like every book has its own challenge now. And I'm not so much worried about like all the, like the flow is one thing, but now it's like, okay, this is a nonfiction and this is what I want from this book. Versus mm-hmm. when I first got my, my very first book, I'm like, oh, I hope this book is good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I want to just make this book good. But now I'm very intentional of like, okay, so this bird book, the whole point is that it has to feel like a travel book. It has to be informative. And that's what I'm trying to get out of it. And then this like two new years is the, is the um, Chinese Jewish one written by Richard Ho. He's great. That one is like a whole has to feel warm and has to mm-hmm. feel like celebration and family. And then I'm working on this current book, which is all about tangrams and shapes. And it's like, okay, this one, the shapes, how do I make them feel like cute? But it's an adventure. And mm-hmm. it's like not the nice thing about doing more books is like you don't get so much sucked into like, oh, this, uh, what is a book project? You're now right. focused more on like, what is this book and what are my challenges mm-hmm. for each book? Right. Yeah. Incredible. Um, is there any type of books or authors that you really want to work with now or? Maybe. So I always consider myself like not a true kid, but person because mm-hmm. I don't know anything. <laughs> like all the different authors yeah. and like even agencies. It wasn't until I joined this discord group that I was like oh wow agencies and all these different agencies and all these different like famous authors so I don't think I necessarily have like an author I would like to work with I I do say I will say I've told this to so I've worked with Dane for friends are friends forever and I've told her I'm like Dane if you ever write another book and you want me to illustrate it I'm down like I love her her work so she She's like the only mm-hmm. author. I'm like, Dane, I'm here. Whenever you want to write a book and have me in mind, I'm here. But um, I think before it was mostly publishers and working with Puffin was a huge one. It was so cool to work with like Puffin. Like everyone knows Puffin. So, but now I I feel like I'm more of like, I just want to get cool stories or stories mm-hmm. that I feel are interesting. And I want to really start making more beautiful books like I just want to get stories that I really want to draw and I'm really into it and then I can make the best work possible uh are you looking to do any author illustrating yourself um no yeah I feel the same way like everyone's like Mm -hmm. the money's an author illustrator but I don't think I want to like I have I have like the idea like maybe I could write a kid's book about this but it's not something that I'm like I have to do I want to do this right I've always 
wanted to do like an autobiographical graphic novel based mm-hmm. on like kind of my can't like it was because my 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 high school life not high school life but my family life from high school to college was like a total mess and it's like kind of fascinating and then adding cancer into that I've always just wanted to like write a really just like a slice of life graphic novel about this kind of wild period in my life and I think that's the only thing that I've like yeah I really like to do mm-hmm. that but it's so hard to draw a graphic novel <laughs> with work and I, not a lot of pay I mean I I don't think I, I I told my literary agent flat out I'm not doing graphic novels at all but I think that I would want to do something like Lauren Redness, who does like these visual essays where it's like a mixture of like illustration and writing and like infographics and stuff like that. Like I have a couple ideas of like some like family history stuff that I'd like to have as a book Mm -hmm. of some kind, but uh, it's definitely something that requires a little bit of research and a little bit of time and recording my mom's talking and all this other stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have an interest in doing author illustration, but I want to like illustrate like a couple titles before I do that. I feel like once I have that under my belt, like I feel like I can confidently then start to pitch stories and be like, well, look, I've successfully done these and they've sold these numbers and whatever. And uh, all that. True. Yeah. Um, I will say though, from the sounds of things, I feel like you could just go for it. If you had an idea, I feel like you could just go for it, but it's really like, do you have that idea? Do you stand by that idea? Do you love that idea? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's the hard part. Yeah, definitely. And I I do, I do have an agent. I think that the other thing too is, is that like, I, uh, I, I take a look at like, illustrators where their editorial work looks exactly like their kid lit stuff or like very slightly altered. Uh, I feel like that's me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like you and like John Molta and like Keith Negley and Mm -hmm. uh, even like uh, Leo Espinoza, like their stuff, like very like one for one. And I kind of, I'm also looking at like Lauren Redness and like Myra Coleman and like, couple other like author illustrator kind of people and I'm like yeah like why can't my stuff and uh, I remember like a time I think it was like in uh, I want to say like the 2010s I uh submitted a bunch of uh drawings like on spec because I had a friend that I went to art school with who was like we have a story about Ethiopian water girls and I'm like, Oh, well I'm Ethiopian. So, uh, why not? And I sent in some sketches and sent in sample work. And, uh, I don't think I've ever publicly put this out there, but you know what the comment was of why it was not offered the book? No, my work was, my work was too cool for this book. And I'm like, that's such a weird backhanded, like kids would like my stuff. Come on. Like, yeah. Kidlet. I'm like, there are so many different types of artists mm-hmm. working in Kidlet. There's, yeah, you can say there are like one or two styles, but 
there's just such a wide variety of different kinds of work in Kidlet. Like, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Cool. Right. And I've always thought about uh, Kidlet being in this weird binary of like, you're either like a realistic artist, like, you know, uh, Kadir or Sandra Strickland, uh, or you're like doing this other thing that's like more like watercolor driven or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's more playful and, and, and everything. And I feel like as I'm like trying now that I have an agent as like my backup, I'm now like trying to push into the industry in a way and try to make my way. And I'm really curious. I became uh, a member of the society of children's book writers and illustrators and, uh, which is like a lot, which is which is funny. It's a lot less formal way of joining than the Society of Illustrators. Um, like with with them, you just you just you know give them your information, your website. Are you represented or not? And sixty five bucks, and you're a member. Whereas Society of Illustrators, um, they actually like vet your work <laughs> like you before you join. Really? They do, but it. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they also have like a, a a bunch of different membership tiers uh, as well. Huh. So uh, if you want to be like a like a sponsor versus like like a general member, and then they have the SI members, which are for members under the age of thirty two. Uh, okay. I I'm like now in the back half of my thirties, uh, and I still am an SI member. They haven't changed me over, which is fine because I, I'm it's half the membership fee of a general membership. Uh, so yeah, nobody knows, right? Nobody watches. Nobody's going to know yeah, unless yeah. they really yeah, look. Yeah, no one's going to know. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, write that as long as you can. Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, I, the Society of Illustrators also, they just started this thing. Uh, I might have mentioned this in another pod. So, uh, uh, people who are listening, please stay with me. Um, they just started doing a thing where uh, they now have like a like an online forum for members only, oh. and so people can like chat or whatever, and that's really cool to like have build community yeah. behind it. And uh, they're doing all sorts of like online talks and everything like that. And uh, your membership really doesn't pay for anything other than just here you are. Whereas with Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, you literally can get like a free like PDF of like how to break into the children's book. And I'm like, this is worth every dollar that I got just now. I'm going to, I'm going to read this when the semester's over and I'm going to be like nothing else in in this field. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm so out of it for SOI. I like, I never got in and I'm not Mm -hmm. in New York. So I was like, ah, whatever. You know, it's funny is like, um, I, I, I've been entering now for like 14 years and I've only gotten in three times and I know it's three more times than you have gotten in, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun. It's a fun experience whether or not you get in or not. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of curious on this whole other life now that I'm starting to build out of like doing children's book work. And, uh, I missed the conference that was in New York uh, for Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's a lot to say, so I'm just saying it really fast. Uh, <laughs> but like, 
because just saying the acronym out, I think it's like Schwab or Schwabby or whatever. I'm like, that's yeah, okay. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Whereas like SOI sounds weird mouthfeel. SOI sounds <laughs> so much cleaner than uh that. Anyway, uh, I'll tell you the uh the children's book group. Uh like I I'm kind of interested in going to a conference when I have the money and the time uh to just kind of get more involved in that uh realm in that life. Uh so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. I think I think that'll be good. Yeah, and I do think Kidlet is like it is so. The more people you know in it, definitely super helpful. Like people are still willing to help each other out. And... Right. I I wanted to talk about like community, like New York versus Toronto, and also kind of a little bit of the community that you formed. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like your experiences as like a post grad student of? toronto illustration community in new york versus uh now that you're getting a little bit more settled back into the community after you know we're coming to like an endemic level of into the pandemic uh right now we're not we're still in it um and uh things are opening up more people are coming together more and talking more and if you could talk about your experience as a canadian artist uh, and what that's like for the community there as a young person and now versus what you've experienced and seen in like New York or elsewhere in America. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I will preface this because of chemo and cancer. Yep. Like mm -hmm. I was, yeah, I was away with chemo. Didn't see a lot of people in 2019. 2020 was with COVID. Yeah. And then 2022, I was like, this is my year. I'm going to go out and then work. Because <laughs> for us, so I, I am pretty, I'm pretty, out of the Toronto scene personally that's just how I feel but um definitely when I think of Toronto's art community it's very spread out it's, it's like yeah it's like a lot of groups together and you can like meet like everyone kind of knows each other but you have to have like an into a group whether that's because you know, you're in game design or something, or you're in the animation group, or maybe you're like in Hamilton. Hamilton has a great art community. But it's just like a bunch of little groups and people have to really work hard to meet each other up. And maybe it's just the way the city is structured, transportation is structured. Maybe this is just like Toronto people. I feel like getting people to hang out is very difficult and I'm included in that. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge issue. So versus when i look at new york i i don't know maybe it's because you guys all like maybe the transportation is just so much more convenient or like there is just more of a culture of like going out and seeing people and not staying at home like i just feel like everyone in new york knows each other and yes there are groups of friends but they intermingle quite frequently and like you'll meet so many people it just it just feels like the new york art scene is there's just more people and a lot more like connections or connecting happening versus mm -hmm. Toronto. You have to really work at it. Sometimes it falls. Like, yeah. Um, so right now we're talking in, in March and uh, let me tell you a little bit about my, my experience with the New York community. Um, I think that we all know each other from the big parties. Um, some of us are friends. Some of us are just acquaintances and trying to get people to hang out 
can sometimes be a struggle because we're all illustrators. So sometimes we live by the deadline. Uh, and oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's a silly excuse we use to, uh, sometimes even get out of things we don't want to go to. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, I think I've been talking, I'm in like a group chat with a bunch of people and we all like basically are going to see a movie on Sunday and Aww. what started off as six people has turned into 12 people. Oh my and, God. Yeah. Whoa. And, and like, we're going to like a nicer theater. Uh, it's called Nighthawk. And it's a kind of place where you go to see a movie and they serve like food and drinks and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, basically I was like the one person who's like, Oh, I'll put it all on my credit card, like and buy tickets. And the number has just grown. Uh, actually. And I think the number's now at 14 and. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, this is turning into a, a whole thing now. Uh, so it's like one of those rare things where it took like two weeks of like texting back and forth, you know, and people saying yes and then dropping out because they had something else that was like in the way or, Oh, can you do it after a certain time? Because I'm doing like a, a class cause I'm going to have a hobby doing this or that or whatever. And so it's kind of funny. Like sometimes we'll have like those kind of moments. And then, uh, then there are other days living in New York where I'm like, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, I literally send out invites to like my birthday party, like two months in advance, like by, by email in like a paperless post like invite, because I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure who uses Facebook anymore for those invites anymore. And yeah. it's too complicated to just have like a bunch of text messages, all whatever. And you know, and that's that. And I mean, so I'm that person who, you know, tries to hold like a day, like two months in advance that I'd rather be the villain of that story. <laughs> no, you have to do it. You have to do it. I think that's the mm -hmm. only way to guarantee people will take time off to go do something. Yeah. But I mean, I, yeah, I think that's the, uh, the other side of being a New York artist is that, yes, we are all here. Yes. We all know about one another, but the, uh, the idea that we all hang out all the time, uh, only, I, I this is what I will say about it. The only time that actually happens is if you have a studio space with a bunch of other illustrators. Yeah. So yeah. I have a bunch of friends that um I used to hang out with all the time. Now I don't, but they now but they like started, you know, hanging out at a studio space and having a table there and uh now we're not, we're, I wouldn't say that we're no longer friends, but we're no longer like talking on the, on the, on the same, like, like week to week or month to month kind of thing. Whereas mm -hmm. like now they're always like at, you know, that studio, uh, hanging out with those artists that are there. And that's fine because that's also a part of being an adult and growing up is sometimes you, you, uh, friends fade away and you get other friends and that's just life. I don't know. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But uh, I I'm thinking about it too, and the studios are similar here. Mm -hmm. I don't think the studio culture is quite the same in Toronto, but I know one of my friends, one thing, she, he's in a studio with a bunch of like multimedia, different types of artists, and yeah, he like meets a lot of people mm -hmm. because of having a studio space. So he is the studio spaces are key. That's the other thing too is um, I have a I have another friend who. Um, like ended up get I, I asked them what their secret was when it comes to 
getting work with all of these like tech startups and they were like, mm. oh, like for the first like five years of my practice, I basically had a table in this big like warehouse that had a bunch of like oh. startups or freelance designers or whatever. And mm. they'd be like, oh, like we need a hand litterer. Like we'll just have so-and-so like do this thing for us or whatever. And I'm like, so that's the benefit of spending 500 to $700 to have like a table that only fits your computer and monitor and, you know, some supplies and, you know, so that you can be in proximity. Yeah, that, that is. Yeah. And that's such a funny like thing about studio culture. Um, another thing too, that, uh, I've always appreciated about seeing you and a bunch of other people online is that, um, you actually have a really tight knit community of people that you have a discord server with and, uh, yeah. And like you have, uh, and you have, uh, and you like have like zoom meetups and you even like, uh, meet up together. Uh, I I was wondering if you could talk about how that, uh, kind of came into formation and, uh, how that's going and, and, and the community that you've kind of built around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm actually in a couple of Discord servers. Uh, one is for Kidlet, which is started by Leanne To, and that, that one's been so helpful. But the one with like I have with Diana, Christina, Wenting, Kim. Um, he's like, let's go D and let's like have a D and D group together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so completely, we do not D and D. It was just so nice like we've we've known each other for so long there was a group so when I graduated like 2015 2016 I think there was just like a bunch of us who all graduated around the same time we were all online for whatever reason and like we all just were in a similar space and we just like all commented on each other's work and boosted each other followed each other like Ben is kind of like a part of that I remember meeting Ben around that time and Kevin Christina Kim and it's just like I don't know we just kept all these internet friendships Christina came to Toronto last year and we were trying to figure out like people be like oh how do you know each other and we were like sometimes one thing got us all together in this discord group and it's just been super great it's been like so nice to connect with each other because we're all even though we're all illustrators we're all doing something different like diana is currently very much into comics and i'm mostly doing kid lit right now and then christina is doing book covers tim's doing a lot of advertising stuff one thing's doing murals and like fine art stuff and it's just it's just been great to like we all come from an illustration background but and we're all kind of doing similar but totally different stuff and it's like just fun to connect and Mm -hmm. keep in contact and really like actively try to be in each other's lives i'm definitely the worst at it though i (laughs) i ghost the discord and then come back i'm like part of several discord communities one that's with my like motorcycle club another one that's like with um it's like a club like an illustration club that's part of like a communication design program 
And I'm part of like uh, this one YouTuber that I follow. I'm part of their Discord. And like, it can be a lot to keep up with a lot of these ones where there's just like stuff happening all the time. (laughs) And uh, I just check in like once a day and I'm like, all right, (laughs) whatever. So um, yeah, it can be a lot. But um, you also went on like, you also, not only do they come up to Toronto, but you've actually went down and, and took a trip to the Catskills. I did. I did. Like work finally had a break. And in November, Wenting and I were like, well, Wenting, Diana and I we were like, okay, we're going to make it down. We're going to like meet, all of us are going to meet in person. Um, and we're going to go to the Catskills for a weekend. And then Diana mm-hmm. couldn't make it because of family issues. Some family emergencies came up. But so just Wenting and I, and I drive, I have a car. So I was like, okay, we're going to drive. <laughs> like, I, I want to visit the Catskills in the summer, not in November. Because yeah. it's beautiful there. But, you know, all the trees, are, there's no leaves. And there was a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Like, that drive was not easy. It was like one of those trips. Like, it snowed. It took forever to get there. When we got there, the Airbnb was like haunted looking, felt very haunted. <laughs> we went on a hike once. We were going to go on a hike, but then it was hunting season. You're supposed to wear bright orange. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. And none of us were wearing bright orange. And we saw this guy decked out head to toe in just like fluorescent orange. And I, we went up to him and we were like, should we, should we be wearing orange? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> like going slightly off plan, but it was just like so nice to just be with each other for a little right. bit. Cause I haven't seen them. I hadn't seen Kim in, well, I hadn't seen Kim in a long time. It was after Christina had been to Toronto. So I'd seen her somewhat mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to say like upstate New York is excellent from uh, like the end of April all the way through the middle of October, especially if you're trying to do leaf peeping, like end of September, or early to middle October. By the time the end of October comes, it's, it's a little cold. Uh, it is what it is. <laughs> Learn the hard way on that one. <laughs> Talk a bit about all the things that you're obsessed with right now. Um, mm-hmm. So you, uh, uh, before we uh, got on the mics, uh, like it started recording, you talked about during your chemo treatment, you got really into knitting. Is yeah, is a sweater yeah. you're wearing something you knit, or is this something yes, you bought? It is. Oh my god, it's I so know. cool! I know. I was intentional. I was like, I'm yeah. gonna wear something I made. <laughs> That's so cool. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. really think my friends here and do like so i my my grandma on my like my chinese side she was apparently a super knitter so my mom knew some knitting and taught me a tiny bit but i never got into it and it wasn't until chemo i needed things to do and karen was like this is a great time to learn how to knit she's like a super knitter amazing Mm -hmm. knitter just like it was the best thing to ever happen I it gave me like I, I could think 
creatively, but I could follow something. I didn't have mm-hmm. to necessarily come up with anything. And it's just like feeling all the fibers. Every fiber is so different. And there's like some fibers are better to use for some clothing. Like I made a tank top out of 100% wool. Not a great idea. No. Warm. Way too warm. And like, it's just it's so repetitive like just knitting is a repetitive act you can just totally tune out watch something else listen to music and just do this repetitive thing and it's like I guess it's like the flow state but it really gets me to calm down and I can just it's like I can still be creative I get this like awesome thing I can wear whenever I want but it's also just the act of knitting is so calming it's great Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I love it. I uh, I do too. Do you now like you you make things and you just kind of it's also like I guess good for giving gifts too to people as well. It's hard to give gifts. Like it's, it's I have given some knit gifts, but it takes so much time. Like I'm knitting a cardigan right now and I'm probably like this much through it and it's taken me a month. <laughs> My god. Long, I mean, it's, a, it's not a complicated pattern, but it's not, it's more than just like this one, which is pretty, all the stitches look the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have the, I've like knitted socks. I gave socks to a friend, but that took forever. And my hands were also like hurting. Mm-hmm. I want to find a way to knit gifts that, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. time effective and hand effective, ergonomic effective. Are you basically making but, Christmas gifts right now? <laughs> uh, we'll see. Next year. Next year. I'll, every year yeah. I'm like, oh, next year I'll start with the knitted gifts. Oh, my gosh. Um, another thing, too, is that you are really big into watching Riptile YouTube videos. Like, oh my God, what, yeah. how, how did that come about? I want to know more. I find it. I know the first one, and probably one of my favorite accounts is Snake Discovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny. This is a slight tangent, but I'm working with an illustrator, um, Allegra Lockstadt, who is amazing. I love Allegra. And she's in like the Minneapolis area, and Snake Discovery has a zoo. In- yeah, that's. I mean, Minneapolis is in Minnesota. Okay. Okay. I know that it's like it's in that general area. My my geography, my lack of geography is showing. But um, I was like, oh, I should visit Allegra, and then I can go go visit. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I found snake discovery, and I love I like love animals. I've always been a huge animal person. I've always owned dogs, but I can't watch dog like I love cute dog content, but I can't watch any like in formative dog content because it's too close to home everyone has different opinions mm-hmm. i'm like i can't do it. it stresses me out so i think the reptiles are just so different they're just so fascinating the food they eat, like just the general care and like how many different reptiles are out there and like an enclosure building is so huge just People make the most beautiful enclosures with all these beautiful plants and there's whole, like people are building ecosystems in their bedrooms. Fascinating. I love just to watch it. 
and learn and like hear them talk about it. I, I, I put, sometimes I put reptile videos on and aquarium videos on all day and I just mm-hmm. listen to them. I, um, I had a student last semester who, um, talked about and drew in my class, uh, a character based on the lizard they had. Cause it was like an emotional support lizard and uh they like lived in the dorms and everything and i didn't question it i'm like all right like that's amazing how big is this lizard i, I mean maybe it's a small one probably maybe a leopard gecko or something. probably something medium i don't know like i don't know like this big or a bearded dragon maybe could be but um it was definitely uh an experience and i i liked every minute of it I don't know. That's my that's my only like connection to uh, reptiles. I was like, I had a student who has a reptile, uh, and <laughs> like I don't have a reptile. I don't know anyone who owns reptiles, but no, it's just I can watch those videos all day. It's mm-hmm. so cool. It's so different. And then what is it about early two thousand cyberpunk anime that like really connects to you? Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't. You know, it's so funny. There's like rare times I feel like an old man and anime is one of them. Mm. Like, I I don't know. There's something about the grunge. Maybe it's just the angst. I love the grungy, angsty feel. Mm. I, love, I just love the animation back then. Because now anime, like there's obviously amazing anime right now. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it's like a lot of it's hyper polished, hyper colorful. Mm. And I, I don't know, I just love the weird, grungy sci-fi. Like, I'm super into Ergo Proxy right now. I have, like, a con... I've been trying to finish Ghost in the Shell. Like, it took me eight years mm-hmm. to finish the first season. And by the time I finished it, I was like, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And I the second season. Like, another eight years. Yeah. And I, don't, I just love, like, the look of it. The sci-fi stuff is so cool. And I don't know. I don't know. I just can't stop thinking about it. And Witch Hunter Robin, like, I realized the guy who made Ergo Proxy also made Witch Hunter, or directed mm-hmm. Ergo Proxy and Witch Hunter Robin. And I love the, like, the music in them. Don't know. Don't know. Those, like, those female characters who are, like, still, they're kind of questionable because it's the early 2000s mm-hmm. and made by men, but they're still strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, like, still in the middle of, like, trying to get through all of One Piece. That's just going to take me oh forever. There's, oh, there's yeah. like, thousands of episodes. Life. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically committed for the next couple of years. Um, I did have one student. Uh, we went, I, like, I'm teaching, like, a storyboard class, and we started talking about anime. And they're like, have you ever seen uh, Chainsaw Man? And I'm like, no. Oh, my God. And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, just don't, just go into it blind. And I'm like, all right. And so I did. And I'm like, all right, um, I need to, I need to uh, watch something else right now. This is so much. Oh my God. (laughs) I will say, I watched Chainsaw Man, but I've read everything and I'm obsessed. I love it. Yeah. But if you read Fire Punch, it's this other, like, if that one's actually weirder. <laughs> How? <laughs> you know, just way more graphic things. 
like you see the beginnings of Chainsaw Man through it. It's basically like this guy can regenerate himself, but mm-hmm. he was like he was like set on fire from with an eternal flame, so he's constantly regenerating and set on fire, and that's the tone of the entire manga. Okay. <laughs> That uh, that definitely uh, primes me for that. How, how many yeah, how many so, volumes is that? Or you don't know? That one? No, that so I want I read everything online. Okay. So it's like eighty four chapters. It's like high eighties, I think, for Fire Punch. But, okay. Yeah, but it's finished, which is good. Oh, the Chainsaw Man, yeah, Chainsaw Man's mm-hmm. wild. I have no idea what's gonna happen next, and I'm in for it. I I know. Not uh, Japanese anime or manga, but I am really into uh, Koala Man, which is like this new animation on Ooh. Hulu that I've been watching. Oh, I don't know what that is. So it's su- it's such a stupid concept. It's okay. set in obviously in this Australian town, and a guy who's this like middle aged man who's balding dresses up. Uh, he has like a koala mask. And he fights crime in like a very low crime like town that's just like, oh, kids are like doing graffiti. So he beats up these kids and they're like, ow, why'd you do that for? He's like, I'm, I'm fighting crime. It's like, come on. <laughs> and, and like, and then, and then other like stuff actually starts to happen, like, uh, like a beast that was like put in the junkyard and fed trash. Uh, to like be sustained that you know that they had like in a glacier or whatever uh and like they didn't and then the guy who is koala man didn't like actually put out the trash one day because everyone puts out the trash when he puts out the trash and basically uh trash wasn't done and then basically this monster was like i didn't get any trash so he like started going all all out in the town and somehow koala man ends up fighting and you know, beating this guy along with the town people. It's a really weird animation. Um, weird. Yeah. It it's sounds fascinating. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. It's definitely like this guy just has a lot of luck fighting crime as just Koala Man. And he makes like, he made his own theme song in like Garage Band. It was really weird. Oh my God. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's a, a real weird, guys. it's a real trip. And uh, I absolutely am into it. I think it was even greenlit for a season two already so oh hey that's pretty good and it's pretty promising yeah yeah with the animation as it is right now Mm -hmm. i i every time i've seen you in new york uh i've always told you that i'm I'm proud of you and the work that you do and it's always good to see you around um even though you all got a uniqlo so you all have no reason to come to new york to get heat tech anymore now but i don't get the same new york experience i do want to head out to new york sometime this year so okay cool i'll let you know when i'm in the city please please do uh give me like a week head start of knowing what's up and i'll plan around it and uh it'll it'll be a fun time uh yeah until then let's kind of end it there and maybe we'll do a part two sometime in a year or two and Oh my God. Yes, please. I'd love to come back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Let me know anytime. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for coming around. Thank you for having me. This was great. It was so much fun just to sit down and chat. It has been a long time.